Okay, if you have a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle of the page from top to bottom. One side, write 70 AD. Uh, the other side, write future. Because we continue our study of Matthew chapter 24, which we've been working on now for a long time. I'm going to try to do some things, maybe to add some kind of clarification. I've spent the last three hours over, what, two days um, doing a sermon review on a sermon on Matthew 24. By the time I got to the end of that, I was pretty much ready to renounce my faith, give up on Christianity and become an atheist. Because I just continue to show uh, or express my frustration and outrage on how a chapter that reads like Matthew 24 can be interpreted so many radically different ways by the very people who claim that the Bible's the final authority, we don't need a magisterial authority, we don't need some experts to tell us what it means because the average person can pick it up and read it. However, even the learned experts can't agree on what it means. That... You talk about an argument against the Protestant Reformation. If there was ever an argument against the Protestant Reformation, Protest I think Protestants do a better job arguing against the Protestant Reformation than Catholics. Like, Catholics don't need to argue against the Protestant Reformation. Just get a bunch of Christians together who can't agree that the, what the Bible actually says while we claim it's the final authority and while we claim that everyone can interpret it. So everyone can interpret it, and it's the final authority, but nobody can agree on the interpretation. That, if that doesn't just make you just go crazy, then I don't know what will. But according to the sermon that I spent three hours reviewing, I'll just make it simple. There's nothing in Matthew 24 that relates to 70 AD. Um, verse 15 is the key event. And when verse 15 happens, then the signs of verse 4 through 14, then those signs begin. So those signs don't give you the, the warning that verse 15 is going to happen. Verse 15 happens, then that sets off the signs of verse 4 through 14. Completely taking it out of its chronological order, completely removing 70 AD from it, and it's all future. And of course, the abomination of desolation did not happen in 70 AD because there's nothing in the chapter about 70 AD. And I don't know how anyone can read this chapter and go, oh, there, there's nothing about 70 AD in this chapter. Nothing. There's just nothing. I, I, don't, I don't know why anybody would even come to that conclusion. And what's even worse is the person who preached that sermon was John MacArthur, who's supposed to be the, you know, verse by verse, you know, guru. And you're like, what in the world? It's, it was just... By the end, I just, I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand anymore. I, I just, I don't know what we're going to do. So we all have worked on it enough, at least here in church. And of course, this is like part 19. So I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours working on it in the podcast. People have turned in all kinds of homework. You should see all the homework people have turned in. So people out there are working and working and working on it. And I think we can all agree with this, uh, that... When you get further into Matthew 24, as we did, uh, I guess, Sunday night, we realize that things begin to fall apart. Even, and even when you try to just put it all future, it begins to fall apart. The, the, the chronology is all messed up. There's just so much that we cannot figure out. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to take a piece of paper. On one side, put 70 AD, and the other side, put future. All right? And let's just, and, and this is not going to be perfect. This is not going to be perfect. But I just, and I, I, obviously I thought there would be more people here, so I thought we'd get a lot of, of input, but you're here, so you're going to have to give me uh, some of the input. But uh, uh, if not, I'll do my best to just try to uh, do this myself for you, and then, we'll, and then we're going to pick up kind of where we left off and see what we can do. But in Ma what I want you to do is I want you to consider Matthew 24, and I want you to consider it from the 70 AD perspective, meaning that if we look at Matthew 24, and let's just say for argument's sake, that we're going to look at the entire thing as being fulfilled in 70 AD. I'm not asking you to agree with that in, like, for real. I'm just asking you for argument's sake. Just let's go with the idea that the entire chapter is fulfilled in 70 AD. All right? On the other side, we're going to look at the entire chapter pretty much from a futuristic perspective. Okay? Now, I know there are a lot of people say, well, it's both. But the people who say it's both can't tell me where it jumps. Right? And that's the problem. If you're going to say it's both, then you've got to have a clear, 
You're going to have some clear place in the chapter where you're like, right here, the rest of its future. And the minute we say the rest of its future, we've already seen what happens, right? You're like, well, wait a minute. So what's the chronology here, right? Did Jesus come back? Did he not come back? Did the tribulation end? Did the tribulation not end? It seems to fall apart. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go with, in theory, just hypothetically speaking, let's say Matthew 24, all of it is 70 AD. Let's just go with that idea, all right? What are the strengths, and I want you to write this down, what are the strengths of the 70 AD perspective? So you can just write 70 AD, and then on this side of the page, you're just going, we're going to write down, first of all, strengths. What is the strengths of the 70 AD only position? What would be strength number one of the 70 AD only position? We can call it preterism if you want, but let's just say the 70 AD, because I want to I want to clarify this as much as I can. What would be the strength? What would be strength number one of the 70 AD only position? Okay, I, I would say, yeah, I think I think we should everyone should be able to figure this one out, okay? Anyone reading, okay would read these words at the beginning of the chapter. And Jesus went out and departed from the... Jesus is on earth. There's a temple standing. This is around 33 AD. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things, referring to the temple. I say unto you, there shall not be left here... One stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What is he referencing? That temple being destroyed. Now, if you're standing there talking to Jesus and he says, Hey, the temple is going to be destroyed. What do you think your next question would be? When? How? What? Where? You're going to be asking questions. Now, many try to interpret the, the disciples' questions in all kinds of weird ways, but if, if you, I, I've been, I just listened to an entire survey of the Gospel of Mark right before I got here, and they acknowledged even in that survey, the one thing we know about the disciples pretty much through the entire Gospels is they never get it, they're constantly confused. So you can't look at their questions like, here's the disciples, and they've got it all figured out. All right, so if the temple's going to be destroyed, then we need to know when that's going to be destroyed, when you're coming back, and when is the end of the world? Like three separate events, because they've got their eschatology so well figured out. The way MacArthur puts it is, in their minds, oh, who cares if the temple gets destroyed? We already know that's going to happen, because there's going to be another one. So in other words, according to MacArthur, they're not even asking a question about when that temple is going to be destroyed. They're talking about a future temple. They want to know what's going to happen to the future temple, which absolutely makes no sense. How can MacArthur go all the way back in time and say, here's what the disciples really meant, right? But the normal reading would be like, they're like, wait, what? The temple's going to be destroyed, and in their minds, that's likened to the end of the world. I mean, I don't know how you could read it any other way, but I guess, you know, he's got a decoder ring that says, no, 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 they're, they don't even care about that temple. They're, they're like, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that temple being, we know that's going to be destroyed. We already know that. They, obviously, if, they, if they're so well, if they're so knowledgeable, if these fishermen are so knowledgeable, then how come they didn't understand that Jesus was supposed to die? Didn't the Old Testament predict a suffering servant? Yeah, but they didn't figure it out. So it's like, it's like on one second, we want to say these disciples were clueless, and in the next second, we're like, no, they were like the scholars of eschatology. Give me a break. It doesn't fit their characteristic. I mean, even Peter, when he says, Jesus, you're the Christ, he immediately turns around and demonstrates he doesn't quite understand what it, that entails. So, um, but the strength of this would be, it fits the context, yes? All right, everyone agree? What would be a second strength from the 70 AD position? Okay. Well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through it, but we'll, we'll, don't forget that one. If I forget it, br bring me back to it. What would be another strength? Would you agree that the language used in most of this chapter is Jesus seemingly to be specifically referring to them? Yes? yes? Could we call this um, 
the strength of the pronouns? Would that be a correct way of saying it? Because note how it works. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto... Everybody see verse 4? Unto them. Unto them. Everybody see that? All right. Verse 15. When ye shall see. Right? Uh, Let's see. What else do we have here? Um, Verse 25. Behold, I have told you before. All the way to verse 25. Behold, I have told you before. Clearly, that means he's speaking to whom? The specific people who came to him while he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and said, when is all of this going to happen? Isn't the language still there? Right? Um, let's see. Uh, well, we could go on and on. That language is used constantly. So we've got the context We've got the strength of the pronouns. Clearly, Jesus is speaking to a specific group of people. That seems obvious in just normal reading. Again, remember, according to the Protestant claim, the Bible can be understood by the learned and the unlearned. That's the claim we make, right? Which, yeah, clearly he's talking to the disciples. There's just no way to get around that. I mean, they're the ones who came and asked the question, right? According to MacArthur... Jesus' answer is no, had nothing to do with them. Nothing. So the pronouns are irrelevant. The them is us. The them, no, the them may not even be us. According to MacArthur, the, all of these signs are for some generation in which we don't know. In other words, these signs have nothing to do with anybody until that generation who sees the abomination of desolation. The signs are only for that generation which just realize how confusing the chapter is. Generation after generation is going to think it's them, so the the generation that these signs are actually for are not going to know it's them until after the abomination of desolation occurs, and they'll be like, oh, we're that generation. These signs are for us. How is that even helpful, right? That makes no sense. So the, the context... The pronouns. What would be another strength of the 70 A.D. position? I'll go throw in with, uh, what Bobby said. Well, we know when the temple was destroyed. We have a historical record of the temple being destroyed in 70 A.D. Like, there's no, like, we don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. We know. Like, there's some things in the Bible we're just baffled by, right? We're just like, well, I don't know. But in this particular case, we're like, what? Well, 70 AD. I can pick up the writings of Josephus and hear in a historical account of it. Now, whether you agree with Josephus or don't agree with Josephus' account of it, we still all know that it happened. Go to Jerusalem today. They'll tell you about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, okay? Everyone knows it happens. Do you realize how great that is to read a passage of Scripture that makes a prediction and we can specifically know the exact day that it occurred and not even have to rely on biblical information? We can rely on secular historical accounts. Rarely do you get such a a, a gift. So, what are three things that make this strong? Context, language of the pronouns, historical record. What else would make it a, 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 give it some kind of strength? Can we agree that at least from verse 4, I'm going to go all the way to 15. 4 to 15, minimum. All right, well, we'll just, just for, for argument's sake, we'll go 4 to 15, that all of those signs we have historical precedent to say that they were fulfilled in 70 AD. Would everyone agree with that? Would we agree that the abomination of desolation could clearly refer to what happened in 70 AD? Rome came in. I mean, I think think you're, you're desecrating the temple when you burn it completely to the ground and destroy everything and carry everything out of it. Yes? You've got your, your pagan symbol on the temple mount. I think that would all fit, yes? Right. Okay, I think, I think that, put it this way, it would be hard just to overlook it, agreed? It would be hard to overlook it. Now, let's make it clear. Does that mean, I want you to hear me out, does that mean there, there couldn't be something that would happen in the future? It doesn't mean that. 
It just means that the language here is pointing to what happened in 70 AD. Agreed? So let's go through these again. What makes the 70 AD position strong? Context. Language of the pronouns. Historical event. And the signs from 4 to 15 has historical evidence that they were all fulfilled in se- uh, leading up to 70 AD and 70 AD. I, would you all agree with that? Right. What would be another strength of the um, 70 AD only position? What would be another strength of the 70 AD only position? Everyone should get this one. Everyone. Okay, if you're not going to, I'll just tell you. Just look at verse 34. 24, 34. This is the verse that everyone should just have memorized. What does it say? This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Right? That's a pretty strong argument. Because if you, if you say this is not, uh, that, that's not referring to 70 AD, then you're saying that it, it's that, that it's some generation that's yet to even live. In other words, from 70 AD, or from 33 AD, when those words were spoken, to 2022. I don't know how many generations that is, because I'm horrible at math. It's a lot, right? Agreed? Does anybody know how many generations that is? Can anybody figure that out? Okay, it's a lot, right? Okay, um, let's just say that it's kind of weird that all these things, that you know, this generation is going to see all these things. They're not going to part until all, until all these things be fulfilled. But for some weird reason, we're all the way in 2022, and I, that generation still has yet to be born, or, or that generation is yet to, to exist. We don't know. It just seems odd. Considering many of those signs were seen by, well, the generation Jesus was talking to, right? Isn't that kind of odd? I think that's a pretty good strength for this being 70 AD. What's the weaknesses of the 70 AD perspective? Those are the strengths. What are the weaknesses of the 70 AD perspective? I know a lot of this is review, but this, I think this, I just, I was so frustrated with reviewing that sermon that I just feel like I have to do this tonight. Okay, let's write down all the verses that are difficult for a 70 AD perspective, all right? Let's go through all of them. I think we can all agree, uh, verse 4 through 15, there's not a problem. Agreed? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 actually all fit very well with the... uh, with 70 AD. Agreed? In fact, they fit very well with 70 AD. In fact, some ways they may be even better. So then that brings us to verse 21. Now, what's the, okay, we've got, we've got this as a weakness to the 70 AD position. All right. We'll just call it a weakness. What makes this weak for the 70 AD position? It describes a tribulation that's supposedly worse than anything had ever happened and worse than anything that will happen. So if we reduce that tribulation to just 70, that, that, that it's only referring to 70 AD, that this becomes a major weakness. In other words, if that tribulation is simply referring to what happened in 70 AD, this is problematic. Everyone can agree with that. Yes? All right, it's problematic. All right? That would be weakness number one. What would be weakness number two? Okay, do we see anything between verse 21 and 29? Let's go in in order. I don't know. Do you think that's a problem? Twenty-two could be explained in 70 AD, right? Because not everyone died, right? So, that wouldn't necessarily be a problem. How about verse 23? That shouldn't be a problem, right? 24 shouldn't be a problem, right? 24 could be a problem because they do signs and wonders. So, maybe a problem, right? 
possibly a problem. So let's put 24 as a possible problem. Verse 26 doesn't appear to be a problem, right? Again, these people claiming uh, Christ is coming, but verse 27, we may have a problem. What's the problem with verse 27? Well, the, the, the issue here seems to be he's contrasting the fact that, hey, if someone tells you Jesus is somewhere and you don't know where he is, don't believe it because the Son of Man's going to come in a very visible way so everyone's going to know it. Now, if we understand that to be Jesus actually coming back, well, then this would be a major problem for 70 A.D. Agreed? Right? So this would be a weakness. So what verses do we have that are provide a, a weakness of the 70 A.D.? Verse 21? Verse 24? And 27. All right? So far, so good? How about 28? Well, this one is difficult. What, what's the deal with... 28's a lot of problems, right? Because on one hand, it sounds perfect for 70 AD, yes? Because the eagles were the symbol for, for Rome. So it sounds really good. But it also is problematic because it's... So on one side, it sounds like a strength for 70 AD. On the other hand, it sounds like a weakness because it also sounds very much like Revelation 19. This one's a little just... Mm, I don't know what to do with this one. So put this one, do this. Put this verse down as a strength, if you have any room left, and list it as a weakness. 28. Remember the, the carcass and the eagles? Yeah, okay. Everybody remember that one? This is a strength and a weakness. Isn't that weird? All right. How about verse 29? 29 is clearly a weakness. Clearly a weakness, yes? Because immediately after the tribulation, well, all basically the sun, moon, stars, everything basically stops working. That's pretty much a problem. A problem. Would everyone agree? Yes? All right. How about verse 30? Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in heaven with power and great glory. I think everyone says that's a problem. Yes? I think 31 is a problem. Yes? All right. So those are all the problems. Okay, so let's go through that list of verses again. What? What do you mean as far as? Well, I mean, it's referring to Jesus coming back, right? I mean, yeah, I mean that, there's a major problem there, right? So, okay, that, that, that's, a, that's a weakness, all right? So let's go through it. What are all the weak, what's all the verses that cause a weakness for the 70 AD position? What's the first one? 21. And that's because they say it's going to be the worst, that if it's 70 AD only, it's the worst tribulation ever. Right? Next uh, verse that's problematic? 24, what's the problem with 24? Signs and one, false teachers doing signs and wonders. And... It seems like if we go in some kind of chronological order that the signs and wonders happen after the abomination of desolation, after the destruction of the temple, which is really kind of confusing, right? So th this one's a little problematic. Next. 27. What's the problem with 27? Yeah, you got the Son of Man coming. Right? In fact, what's weird is, is this says the Son of Man coming, and then we have other verses that say the Son of Man is coming, which is just really weird. How many times is he coming in this path? It's really weird, right? Okay, so the Son of Man is coming. Next. 28, because it's, it, it's a strength and a weakness, but it's a weakness because... It could, but uh, the reason I'm putting it there is, be, uh, is because there's some passages in Daniel that seems to uh, connect the abomination and desolation with signs and wonders. But you could make an argument that it could fit 70. You could make an argument, but I'm going to at least allow for it to be a possible weakness, okay? And so 28, that's the eagles and the carcass? 
Right? It's a weakness because it sounds very much like Revelation 19. Right? Unless you make Revelation talking about 70 AD, which we believe it was written after 70 AD, so that, you see, that's a problem. Right? But we have it listed as a strength as well. Next, 29, what's the problem? Yeah, the sun, moon, and stars start working after the, tri- after the tribulation. And if the tribulation is the destruction of the temple, then you're going to say at the, after the destruction of the temple, the sun, moon, and stars start, stop working. That seems really problematic. Agreed? Okay, next. Okay, you get the Son of Man coming in verse 30, which I thought he was already showing up in the previous verse, which is, again, uh, this is problematic. Okay. Yeah, the sign of his coming, but then the whole... The tribes and the earth all mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man in that verse, right? You got the sign, then the sun shows up. Okay, so how does that work? Okay, well, he already supposedly showed up in the previous verse. So chronologically, this is completely out of order, right? So this becomes majorly, this is a problem for every side, okay? All right, so that's a problem. Next verse, 31, which, the gathering of all the elect from the four corners of the world, right, or earth, okay? Next. That's it. Okay, I think that's it. Those are all problematic. Can everyone agree that those are problems? Yeah, everyone can agree those are problems. They can't be ignored. Right? But at the same time, you can't ignore the strengths. Now, let's go to the future. All right, let's go. Let's go to the other side of the page. All right, what is the strengths for looking at it from a, that this is referring to something happening in the future? What are the strengths from this? All those verses that we put down as weaknesses, those would be the strengths. So you've already got the list in front of you. Okay. Just for the people listening online, let's go through all the verses. What would be the verses that would be a strength for the future position? Let's go through them again. Verse 21, 24, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31. There we go. And we understand why these would be a strength, right? Because it seems to be talking about things that 70 AD can't account for. It hasn't happened yet. In fact, I think it would be very hard to argue that they happened yet. Okay? So those would be the strengths of a future position. Agreed? All right. What would be the, weak, uh, what would be the weaknesses of the future position? What, right back to the, the, the context the language, verse 34, okay, right? Okay, now, do you see what we just did? When you look at the strengths and weaknesses of both positions, do you end up with one somehow rising to the top as being better or worse than the other? It's very, compl- it's very convoluted, Yes? Don't, don't, I mean, what, what would you prefer to occur? That after doing that, we could say, well, clearly, that's the strength and that's the way. No, we can see that there's strengths and weaknesses in both. Now, what makes me mad is pastors who stand behind pulpits and don't bother to let the people in the pew know, hey, there's problems no matter what position I teach you. But what are a preacher supposed to do? Just preach it in a dogmatic, assertive way, like that's the way it is. But that's not the way it is, because the passage is a train wreck. So, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going we're gonna, uh, to go back to the preterist and see if they can explain any of these weaknesses away. Because if they can fix their weaknesses, we've already argued that the preterist have a, an advantage, yes? What's the advantage of the preterist position? Well, 70 AD, the language, the context, all verse 34, right? We, 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 we've talked about all that, correct? So, let's see what they do here, all right? Let's see what they do here. I'm going to go back to where we kind of stopped. Yeah, back into the preterist book. All right, we've, uh, we've talked about the abomination of desolation, all right? Um, we, we looked at all of the language here. So, get, now, we, the, the problem is, they remember one, one of the things that drives me crazy about the Preterist book? Is they've kind of gone through it verse by verse, and guess what verse they skip? 21. 21. 21. 
Now, why, why would the preterists skip verse 34? That's their, that's their ace up to sleeve, man. Yeah, they were not going to skip that. Okay, trust me, they got, they got an entire chapter to that verse, okay? But they skipped this one, which is just, you want to just throw the book across the room and burn it because you're like, what's the point? Like, if you're going to put forth your position, that's a verse that's going to cause you problems. But guess, where, so where, guess what they jumped to? 29 to 31. Go figure, right? <laughs> you got, isn't that great? Right? They, they jumped to that. Yeah, of course they skipped a section that could cause them some problems, right? Now, they don't have a problem with everyone fleeing. I mean, remember, they did mention a little bit about them, everyone fleeing. They don't have a problem with that, obviously, right? They don't need to prove anything there. So I can see why they would skip it. They don't need to prove anything. The abomination of desolation occurred in 70 AD. Obviously, everybody's going to run for their life. Okay, so nobody has an issue there. All right, so, so far, so good. Now, here's what they do. All right. Crucial, now remember, they are, they are borrowing from uh, James Stuart Russell. Everybody remember that? So really, we're reading James Stuart Russell's perspective on preterism. Is really what we're reading, okay? All right. Critical to Russell's view is the link between Matthew 24, 28 and the following verses that describe the signs of the appearing of the Son of Man in clouds and glory. All right? So what does Matthew 24, 28 say? Everybody look at it really quick. Okay, so that, according to Russell, the link between that verse and the following verses, which describes the sign of the appearing of the Son of Man in clouds of glory, that this is critical or crucial to his view. I I don't know exactly why, but okay, we'll we'll see why here in a minute. So then they quote 29 to 31. I'm going to read it as, as it is written in the book. Immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened. I guess what you could say, immediately after the tribulation, the tribulation of those days would go back to verse 28, which refers to all these people being slaughtered. Do you see that? Okay. Which would be 70 AD in their their view. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. So you 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 have the killing of everyone. And then immediately after that, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. All right, so this seems to be setting up a chronology, a, a, a chronological order, Right? Everyone dies, or not everyone, but horrible death, right? The eagles are there, and then immediately all of these other things happen. Now, I, to be fair, I am glad, and it is pretty bold for them to step up and going to try to explain all of those verses I just read happening in 70 AD. Would you agree? So how in the world are they going to do this? Here we go. Everybody got their thinking caps on? This passage describes the parousia in vivid and graphic images of astronomical events. Would everyone agree that astronomical events are are described there? It speaks of signs in the sky that will be visible and the sound of a trumpet that will be audible. Perhaps no portion of the Olivet Discourse provides more difficulties to the preterist view than this one. All right, let's, let's all. Hey, I, that, I, I'm glad they're willing to acknowledge it, right? Because I'm agreeing with you. That, that's a mess. I don't know what to do with that. Okay, so, so far, so good. Now, let's, so what, what, what's our question? So what are you going to do with it? All right, this is what they say. This portion leads many interpreters to see a clear historical division between references to the destruction of Jerusalem and the references to the parousia of Christ. All right? I, I agree that this seems to be where it jumps. This seems to be where it jumps. Now, there's a weakness 
to the future perspective that I did not have you write down. You will, we're going to go back to it in a minute, okay? You'll see why, all right? Now, let, let, I'm just going to stop right here and now go back to it. What's, if Matthew 24 is future, and let's say we say that it jumps to the future, let's say, say, let's, let's say we can somehow work it that we can get all the way to verse 28, Let's say we can find a way to get to 28, making it all 70 AD. Let's say there's some way to get there, right? Immediately after 28 has everyone dying, right? 29 has then the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of that. Okay, so if we say 29 and following is future, what's the problem with, what becomes a a problem for the future perspective? Is when you look at 29 and following, doesn't the chronology seem to start falling all apart? Right? Because what happened? How does verse 29 begin? After the tribulation. All right, well, if this is future, then you, ca- you can't refer this to the tribulation, that that tribulation is referring to 70 AD. So you have to say this is referring to the tribulation of when? The book of Revelation. All right? Then it mentions three things sun, moon, and stars. Correct? And verse 29? All right, here's what I want you to do. Let's just stop for a second. All right? Because if they're going to acknowledge the difficulty this is for the preterists, I want you to see the problems this presents for those who hold to a future view. All right? Now, it says, after the tribulation in those days. Does everyone see that in verse 29? All right. Does everyone agree it mentions sun, moon, and stars, and clearly they're not working or they go away? Yes? All right. I want everyone here, go to the book of Revelation and find anything that talks about sun, moon, and stars, either being darkened, stars falling, anything that would be likened to what's being described here in Matthew 24, 29. Right? All right, someone says Revelation 12, 1. I think that's the woman, is it not? Okay, well, let's, well, let's put them in order. You've got chapter 6. Right? Does anybody have anything before chapter 6? Right? Uh, chapter 8, right? Okay, so but chapter 6, uh, let's go to chapter 6 first. Anything before chapter 6? I don't think you're going to have anything before chapter uh, 4, because that's the letters to the churches, right? So chapter 4, everything's good in chapter 4? Yeah? No problem? How about chapter 5? Does anybody have anything in chapter 4 or 5? No? Okay. Does everybody agree nothing in chapter 4 or 5? Agreed? Wait. Okay. How about chapter 6? All right. Uh, Anything before chapter 6, verse 13? Are we we good? All right. So we'll go to chapter 6, starting verse 12. Everybody there? And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as of blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Now let's stop right here. Is that similar to the language used in Matthew 24, 29? Okay, very similar, kind of similar, or exact? What do we have? How how are we going to classify it? Sun is darkened. Pretty close, right? Pretty close. Now, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, Matthew 24, 29 says this occurs after the tribulation. Where would people describe Revelation chapter 6? The tribulation, yes? Not after. You see the chronological problem that begins to develop? Where else in the book of Revelation? Someone said chapter 8? Where? 
Verse 10, And a third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountain. So there's one star, so it doesn't quite... Verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. Now the problem here is it's the third part, but it's still something similar to moon, stars, and sun. Yes? Right. In other words, you have astronomical events occurring that, that are at least involving the same things found in Matthew 24, 29. All right, what else in Revelation? That's chapter uh, 8. Anything else? Chapter 12, you have the woman with the the moon and sun under her feet. Which is bizarre, considering the sun and the moon has all basically been destroyed already before you get to this. So, but that, that's the, the difficulties with the book of Revelation. Okay, We won't get into anything else about sun, moon, stars falling or darkened or turning into blood or anything else happening to them. Is everybody good that that's everything or no? All right. We made it to chapter 12. Now we're... we're, we're okay, you find anything? All right, 16, 8. And a, and a fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Okay, that doesn't uh, fit. Which is just weird because, wait, I thought the sun was already dark. Okay, but man, the revelation is... Uh, 1917. An angel standing in the sun, yeah, not very helpful. 21-23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine. Now you've got, that. that is that, uh, that's the new heaven and new earth. So yeah, so that would be irrelevant at this point. All right, so. But we're looking for things that, uh, that are connected to Matthew 24, 29, okay? So, what I want to show you is that whenever you talk about sun, moon, and stars, something happening to them, it happens in the tribulation if we understand that that's the... Tri- I mean, remember, the tribulation is supposed to be worse than anything we've ever seen. That would be describing things like that, right? So, if, if Matthew 24 says this happens to the sun, moon, and stars after the tribulation, does everyone agree the problem what would be a possible solution? Put your thinking caps on. What would be a possible solution to the problem? Because what, what we're seeing is that the strength of, Ma- of the future position is that there's things in Matthew 24 that clearly are describing things that did not happen in 70 AD, right? So, but we're showing you that there's a problem here because their future events are, seem to be all out of whack and no chronological order. For example, after the tribulation, then these things happen. So what would be a possible way to get around this? What would be a possible way for the futurist to get around this problem? Well, if you get out of the order, I I think your position falls apart. I mean, I, I don't know how you make it work. What would be, just think of it though. Just think, go read Matthew 24, 29 and just read the verse. Put your thinking caps on. What would be a way for you to possibly get around this? All right, let's go. Let's work through the verse together. All right, everybody ready? All right, so you got Matthew 24. Yes, you got Matthew 24, verse 29. Yes, okay. What's the first word? Okay, immediately. That's causes that's 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 a problem. But okay, but go immediately. What's the next word? After the tribulation of those days. Now, the immediate cause all kinds of problems. But some could argue the tribulation of those days refers to 70 AD. The sun, moon, and stars happening happens after 70 AD. They would just not put it immediately. They would put it 
somewhere in the future. That at least tries to put it in some kind of correct order. Does, ev- does everyone understand what I just tried to do there? The immediate, I understand immediately causes problems. I understand. Does every translation use the word immediate? What is it? It says uh, immediate? Um, let me see what I have here. Yep, immediately after the distress of those days. So the immediate, there's no way to get around it. We would just, is it immediate in whose eyes? Remember one day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. I'm not saying that that's what we should go to to try to get around this. I'm just saying that's, there's got to be some way to get around it. Okay, okay. But I'm not saying it's perfect. But I just want you to see that the futurist, this is where it starts having a problem. Where does the problems continue for the futurist? So the first one is we got sun, moon, and stars, all this happening after the tribulation, when most would argue, no, this happens during the tribulation. The only way to get around it is to say that tribulation is referring to 70 AD, and this happens after, but the immediate causes a problem. What are some other problems for the, uh, that, that we haven't mentioned yet? What are some other problems here for the futurist from uh, verse 29 and following. Okay, well, clear, clearly, other than 34, other than 34, All right? So what happens, so everything in 29 is the sun, moon, and stars, agreed? What happens in 30? All right, so Jesus appears in verse 30, agreed? Okay, and then shall, what happens in 31? Have the gathering of the elect. What happens in 32? The fig tree. What happens in 33? Okay. And then 34 is the... Okay. Where, where does Jesus appear? He appears... There's, there's two places where he appears. 27 and 31. So you see now the chronological order are 30. So 27 he appears, right? The sign, but what else to say in verse 27? Okay, well, the, okay, now that one wouldn't be a problem because that's just explaining what it will be like. Okay, verse 28. Okay, then 29 after the tribulation. Everything falls down. It doesn't mention Jesus coming back there, does it? Okay, verse 30. Okay, so 30 has Jesus coming back. Okay, 31. Gathering of the elect. elect. 32. Parable of the fig tree. 33. And then 34 is this generation. So, So there's only really one verse that mentions Jesus coming. Okay. Okay, but that doesn't have to say that, he, okay. All right. Well, that's a little confusing because he, according to the previous verse, he's already shown up. All right. That's a little confusing. Okay. All right. So I guess, I guess the only major chronological issue is the sun, moon, and stars happening after the tribulation. So maybe there's not as much of a chronological problem as we thought. Right? Agreed? Does anybody see any other uh, chronological issues arising there that we've missed? We we just got to be honest. We just got to be honest. Remember, we're not fighting for a side, right? Okay. Okay. So I think the only way to get out of the the tribulation uh, problem is to say, yes, the tribulation there is 70 AD, and then after that tribulation, at some point, the sun, moon, and stars will fall. The only issue is the immediate word, right? Agreed? It doesn't, yeah, I figured it does mean immediate. I I figured it did. All right, now we're going to run out of time. I thought we still had plenty of time, but of course we don't. Let me try to at least get you, I wanted to get further into the preterist view, but I wanted to stop there because they're acknowledging their problems. I wanted to show the other problems. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? All right, this this portion leads many interpreters to see a clear historical division between references to the destruction of Jerusalem and references to the parousia of Christ. These interpreters grant that the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem took place within the time frame of one generation. 
but insist that Christ has yet to appear in the clouds of glory. Now, so in other words, they acknowledge that some people who hold to a future view have to acknowledge, well, all of that did happen in that generation, but Christ didn't come back. Which you can understand where they would, yeah, that would have to be the issue, correct? So, let, so what are they going to say? This is true of interpreters from both the liberal and conservative ends of the theological spectrum. For the, for the preterism of Russell and others to work, they must give a credible explanation for how these first verses fit into the time frame of the first century. Because Matthew 24, 29-31 begins with the adverb... Immediately, Russell insists that this links the tribulation in Matthew 24, 15 through 22 to a near at hand manifestation of Christ in glory. Russell sees no possibility of any great interval of time between these two events. To argue that the second event occurred in the first century, Russell must demonstrate that the tribulation refers to the calamity suffered by the Jews during the destruction of Jerusalem. Russell says, But the scene of the great tribulation is undeniably Jerusalem and Judah, so that no break in the subject of the discourse is allowable. Again in verse 30, we read that all the tribes of the land shall mourn, referring evidently to the population of the land of Judea, and nothing can be more forced and unnatural than to make it it include um, all the races and people of the globe. The restricted sense of the word land in the New Testament is common when connected as it is here with the word tribes. Its limitation to the land of Israel is obvious, This view is adopted by Dr. George Campbell and Moses Stewart, and it is indeed self-evident. Okay, I'm not going to get into whether, how you know, it says all the tribes. Wait a minute, that has to be everyone. Well, it can can be restricted in the sense that um, that, he's speaking about a specific region. But I'm not going to get, I don't think that, that this argument hinges and falls on that. Does that make sense? I think there's other issues. So we can come back and work on that. All right. Uh, they go on. Many commentators strongly disagree with this assessment of the text. To them, the meaning of the reference is not so self-evident. Calvin, for example, said that the tribulation of those days is improperly interpreted by some commentators to mean the destruction of Jerusalem. Others see the connection between this text and the text of Zechariah 12.10, but give it a wider meaning than the tribes of Israel. The graphic imagery of the events accompanying the the parousia function as a chief reason why many, if not most, commentators view this segment of the discourse as being not yet fulfilled. Russell was very aware of this. But it is answered, the character of our Lord's language in the passage necessitates its application to a grand and awful catastrophe which is still future and can be properly understood of nothing less than the total dissolution of the fabric of the universe and the end of all things. How can anyone pretend it is said that the sun has been darkened, that the moon has withdrawn her light, that the stars have fallen from heaven, that the Son of Man has been seen coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory? Did such phenomenon occur at the destruction of Jerusalem, or can they apply to anything else than the final consummation of all things? The questions Russell anticipates are exasperated when one considers other New Testament texts that refer to the parousia. One such text is found in the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And what do we have there? Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He ascends into heaven, right? And what do the uh, two individuals, two angels standing there, what do they say to him? All right, well, that seems to imply that Jesus is going to come with the clouds. He's going to come like he ascended, all right? Which clearly, that's way after, that happens after, uh, this uh, clearly occurs, this ascension and them telling them this occurs before 70 AD, right? So, well, then Jesus didn't come back in that same way in 70 AD. Luke's record of the ascension of Christ makes it clear that the disciples present 
uh, it was a visual experience. They watched Christ as he was taken up in the cloud. They, re- they remained transfixed by the sight, gazing up into heaven. When the angels appeared, they declared that Jesus would come in like manner as he had departed from them. This would seem to indicate that if his departure in the glory cloud was visible, then his return in glory would also be visible. Christ's ascension cannot be regarded as a spiritual or mystical vision without doing radical violence to the text. Everyone should say amen to that. That's interesting. The preterist is acknowledging this. Right? Russell responds by appealing to the literary nature of prophecy. So here's what we're going to do. All right. Yes, it appears that's the way Jesus has to return. But he's going to make an argument. But this is prophetic language. Prophetic language has its own literary genre, therefore its own literary style. So we have to interpret the language according to the rules of that literary style. That sounds good, doesn't it? The problem is, we still have Acts. Acts is still real. But, yeah, so then, what do we do here? We're out of time. All I can really do is just read this paragraph. You ready? Symbol and metaphor belong to the grammar of prophecy. As every reader of the Old Testament prophets know, It is not reasonable that the doom of Jerusalem should be depicted in language as glowing and rhetorical as the destruction... Or let me read this again. Is it not reasonable that the doom of Jerusalem should be depicted in language as glowing and rhetorical as the destruction of Babylon, of, of Basra, or Tyre? How then does the prophet Isaiah describe the downfall of Babylon? Now, we'll end with this. Everybody ready? Grab your Bibles. Go to Isaiah 13. This is, this is what the preterists will consider. That, what their, their ace up the sleeve is Matthew 24, 34. This would be what they think is like, you know, the gotcha moment. This is where you're, they've kind of brought you in. Well, whoa, man, you're right. You're right. And then all of a sudden, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it not unreasonable to say that the language here would resemble the language used in other parts of the Bible to talk about the destruction of a city or a nation? And then they go to Isaiah 13. Everyone look at verse 9. What does verse 9 say? Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. What's the next part? For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. Wow, that sounds very similar, doesn't it? Does that sound very similar to Matthew 24? Now, what's he talking about in Isaiah 13? It's prophecy against Babylon. Either we have to say that that's not referring to the Babylon that was judged who took Judah into captivity, because if it was the judgment against Judah to captivity, that didn't happen. Therefore, in other words, they are saying that other prophecies in the Bible that talk about the destruction of a nation, the same language, symbolic language, is used to describe what happened to Babylon. We know it didn't. And it's the same language to describe what happened to Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's the preterist argument. Nothing like that. I mean, that didn't, the whole, yeah. Not, not like none of those things happened. I mean, you know, obviously the sun, moon, and stars are still present, and the whole earth wasn't moved, and yeah, I mean, clearly not. 
So, now, we could argue, well, wait a minute, is, is Isaiah 13, is it pointing to something future? Now, we have to get into an argument there. The predators are going to be like, no, that's talking about the judgment of Babylon. And if it is, then you, they would have a, a textual argument to say Matthew 24 is using similar language. Do you see, see the argument? Now, it's more than just Isaiah. There's a number of other places in the Old Testament that does the same thing. When they talk about the destruction of Tyre, the destruction of Basra, destruction of other cities are described with these astronomical things occurring. Well, how many times could they occur? In other words, if I have this city, this city, this city being judged and the same language is used, well, clearly not every time a city was judged did those things happen. So clearly we have to understand them to be what? Figurative. Do you see the argument they're trying to build? Now, we don't have any time to go further. But you... you Well, I'm not making an argument there. Their argument was, we historically know Basra, Tyre, and Babylon was judged. We know that happened. And we don't have anything going, man, the sun, the moon, and stars just all stopped and fell and, well, then came right back after the destruction of Babylon. In other words, that would be a pretty significant historical event that nobody records, right? So that, that's their argument. Now, I'm not saying it works, but at least it's, what, what kind of argument is it? It's an argument based off text and based off literary style and based off language. That's good. That, that's good. And they're trying to stay consistent with the language of Matthew 24. So there's strength there. I'm not saying it works because we don't have time to, to offer a critique. But we're, we're going to have to deal with it, are we not? We're going to have to deal with it. And so if they can make this work, then verse 34, then, then 34 will be the ace up the sleeve. You see, at this point, they're kind of like, you think, okay, we've got them. We got them. This doesn't work. And they're going to be like, well, what about here, here, here? And if they can just get you a little bit convinced, then all they do is drop verse 34 and go, boom, we've just, we've, fi- we've fixed the whole chapter. But I don't know if these work. I don't know if these work. Because e- here's my problem. Even if you f- figure out the sun, moon, and stars, you still have Jesus coming back. So then you're going to have to say Jesus didn't come back. Right. And then you've got the, Luke, the Acts passage, which seems to apply. That's how Jesus is going to come back. So we got major issues still, right? But if we can get past the sun, moon, and stars, then maybe we can say that everything up to that is 70 AD. It's just the return of Jesus that hasn't happened. That would make it a lot more manageable, Yes. Now, the only problem is we would still have verse 34, right? Now, no matter what we do, verse 34 is going to just stand up and go, <laughs> you can't fix me, right? Agreed? Okay, we're going to have to stop there. All right. Um, if people have been posting comments online, I'm sorry. There's no one in the sound booth. And I had way too much to look at to try to answer things. But let me look really quick. Yeah, I, I, had, I had too much to focus. Oh, man. Okay. Um, okay, I got all kinds of stuff here. Okay. Uh, someone asked, who is being referred to, uh, to that? He who endures to the end will be saved. Clearly, that would be referring to the people, we think, 70 AD, who made it all the way to 70 AD and, and didn't die. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you have figurative language talking about the sun, moon being darkened. Yes, absolutely agree. Uh, do we want to look at Acts 2? Sorry, Twyla, we can't get to that. And then uh, Seth uh, said, meaningful to the audience answering their question. I don't know what he's referring to now since that was, he posted that an hour ago. Okay, so clearly I don't know. All right. <laughs> who, knows what, who knows what my question... I don't even remember my question from an hour ago. Okay, because my head is right now about to explode just trying to figure this out. All right. So, but just remember... Whatever we do with Matthew 24, this is where people seem to get so confused. Even if we conclude that Matthew 24 all is about 70 AD and happened in 70 AD, that doesn't disprove some future events like a rebuilt temple, promises being fulfilled to Israel. It's like some people think like, we've got to have Matthew 20. No, we don't. We've got plenty of other passages that talk about 
other events, correct? Right? So I don't know why everyone like loses. Like if you if we lose Matthew 24, we lose the war. No, we, it's not about winning the war. It's about what does Matthew 24 tell us? And the preterists have a good argument here that there's some figurative language used in the Old Testament. They do. I mean, yeah. Are you noticing all the places where it occurs? Yeah, you're noticing a lot. Are you not? I mean, like someone posted in the comments, it's throughout the Old Testament. Book of Joel, right. Exactly. That's in Joel too. So is that referencing 70 AD? You see, like, or, and if it's not referencing 70 AD, and if it's referencing something future, it's using the exact same, like, you, we, in other words, we got this language we got to deal with all over the place. So, all right, we'll stop. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Thank you for having a place where we can spend the time doing this. Most churches would not tolerate this because they want only one perspective, and that perspective has to agree with their team. But we don't have a team. So we're, we just want to know what your word says. And we may be sloppy and messy and trying to figure it out. But I hope you'll show grace and mercy to us that we're trying to do this because we want truth, not just because we want to be right. And I pray that we can maintain that spirit and that attitude and we stay committed to pursuing this course of study until we reach the end. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...